Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. Anna, how's it going? Good. How are you, Matt? Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, this um, you're you're all about education, and um, you were homeschooled, and we're going to dig into all of that. But I specifically want to talk to you because there's such an opportunity right now with parents who have been. I I, I love to use the word red pilled, even though it's it's taken on some political connotations, <laughs> which I do not intend. Um, but a lot of parents over the last few years have discovered um, all of these insane flaws in the top-down, one-size-fits-all public or government education system, and 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 we can get into those. But but I think the one that I, that that shocks a lot of parents is just the sort of the mindless regimentation of what we consider the education system, which doesn't make any sense to me. But but I wanted to get you to to give people a sense for who you are and um, and and why you decided to start Rebel Educator, which is which is your new platform. I guess it's a set of tools, curriculum. What would you call it? It's a set of resources. It's a starting point. It's intended to be a jumping off point for parents who know basically what you just said, that the school system is not the best place to be educating their kids, but they don't really know what to do next, which is a very large subset of parents yeah there are it's it's very intimidating it's very intimidating it's also really hard to find resources they're very siloed right now there is no good central jumping off point where you can type into google like what do i do with my kid that's not public school and then you get a definitive starting place yeah Uh, you kind of have to know somebody who's in an alternative school or is reading some weird blog that they can send you or something to fall down the rabbit hole so like our goal is to just be the jumping off point for people so we can reach as many people as possible and give them like we're not building a school or a specific curriculum. We can direct parents to everything that's out there that's happening so they can figure out what are the right questions to be asking? How should I think about educating my kid? Yeah. What resources are available to me? And then how do I go about choosing one? And even just realizing that every your preconceived notions about what education is and what teaching is, uh, maybe just suspend that for a little bit. And, and rethink and, and maybe reimagine based on everything that you saw that was awful during these, these Zoom classrooms and, and other forms of, of torture that we imposed on our children over the last three years. Um, and and we'll, get, we'll get more into that, but uh, you, you are probably into this because you, in fact, were homeschooled yourself. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about <laughs> this crazy story. Like, why, why would your parents let you just run wild like that? <laughs> that is a really great question. Um, I'm kind of working education entirely by accident. I just sort of like grew up in this very alternative education world being homeschooled. And then I ended up, I skipped college to go work for a college alternative program called Praxis that was like a startup apprenticeship people program for people who want to skip business school. And then by the time I left that, I was like, okay, I think I just work in education. <laughs> like, I think yeah. this is my thing. Um, but I went to a, a private Montessori inspired preschool and kindergarten. Um, so I was six when my parents decided to homeschool me first through 12th grade. And it was... I was the oldest kid, so I was the big experiment. And it was just sort of like, I remember my parents. So you were the guinea pig. I was the guinea pig, yeah. Are there any issues that you were the the test case? (laughs) I mean, so I have one younger sister, and my parents definitely did things differently with her. There were definitely Mm -hmm. things they had learned. Fewer mistakes. Yeah, but... I don't I don't look back at it and feel like it was like there were any big like, wow, we definitely wouldn't have done that again kind of moments. Maybe my parents would say something different. I think I had a great experience. Yeah. But yeah, my parents, it was it was a big experiment. They were like, we're going to do this for first grade. We're going to see how it goes. And then we just kind of kept re-upping <laughs> for 12 more years. Um, but it was it was a really great experience. We um, like it was a very like school is very it wastes a lot of kids time Mm. so when you're not in a classroom for seven hours a day when you're eight nine ten years old you can get all of the things you need to do done in like two hours and then you can have a childhood with the rest of that time so i grew up loving learning because it was just sort of 
enmeshed with all of the things that I naturally wanted to do as a kid. Like I wanted to go play in the woods and we go for walks and my mom would be like, look at all the mushrooms that come after it rained. Like let's study botany and learn how mushrooms work. And it was just this like very organic evolving process. And then when I was in middle school and high school, I became a lot more academic and I spent a lot of time watching like recorded video lectures from college professors on YouTube and through companies like The Great Courses. And I realized when I was in high school that I I thought I was college bound. I was like, this is a terrible idea because it's going to be boring comparing to what I'm doing in high school. But talk, talk about like the just the one, one of my theories, mm-hmm. one, of, one of my sources of optimism for all the things we could be pessimistic about with with young people in education and and what what what's being done to them in terms of I hate to use the word indoctrination but um, standardization maybe is a is a fair way to say it um, but but you were able to curate a curriculum you probably didn't call it a curriculum you're just like oh I'm interested in this and you went out and found it talk about that process because that that to me is like there's there's a secret of success in there somewhere. Yeah, it's it's weird. I've had to think about this a lot as an adult to try to figure out what happened because it was just yeah. sort of a natural process. Yeah. Um, as a caveat, I was a very academic kid, so I was really interested in like weird niche academic subjects. Like I wanted to go deep down the rabbit hole studying anatomy and find like videos of cadaver dissections and understand what people actually learn when they're preparing to be a doctor. And I wanted to go and like read Greek classics because I thought Oedipus Rex was a really great story and I wanted to read all the other tragedies. Um, So I was like naturally very inclined towards the things that are sort of considered to be the building blocks of like a good classical traditional education. I don't think that that's important for every kid who's homeschooled or unschooled or goes through any other alternative path to to do those things. That was just your path. Yeah, that was just my path. Um, but I think it does make my path an interesting case study because you can really easily contrast it with like what you would be doing if you were going to a high level school. Um, but my, my path was very curiosity driven. Like, Mm -hmm. again, I was the first kid, so we didn't really know what we were doing. And my parents wanted to make sure that I could go to college if I wanted to. So like we need, this is a list of boxes that we have to make sure is being checked. You have to make sure that you like have the standard stuff that you would need to put on a college application if you wanted to go. But beyond that, I would, could kind of do whatever I wanted. So I was were, just were like, were there legal barriers? So because that, that is an issue. Yeah. In depending on what state you're in. Yeah. So I grew up in Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania is a fairly regulated state when it comes to homeschooling. There's a lot more. Like we had to go to a state certified evaluator every year, and they had to look over my portfolio and then write a letter that we had to submit with the portfolio to the school every year so that they could review it and be like, yeah, we're technically responsible for you because you're in our district and you technically did everything you needed to move on to the next grade. Um, some states, you don't have to do that at all. You can just like say you're homeschooling and no one ever checks in with you again. Yeah. Um, but there definitely were legal requirements, which has, has good things and bad things. Like it's, you know, there's standards that you have to meet that you may or may not agree with, but it also. I'm from like, Pennsylvania. It's possible <laughs> that the teachers unions have quite a grip <laughs> on the system there. I'm just I will also say I don't live in Pennsylvania anymore for reasons that may or may not be related. But, you know, <laughs> but uh, Pennsylvania was a, a regulated one. Um but it didn't have that much of a bearing on the day to day, really. Like, so when you when you finished um, homeschooling and you you still had a piece of paper that said you had a yeah, high school level I got education. A, yeah, Pennsylvania because it's more regulated. There's different like state accredited organizations that you can get a diploma through. So I have a piece of paper that says that the state of Pennsylvania recognizes that I got a high school level education. Um, I've never used it for anything. It's like in a box somewhere, right. <laughs> but I do have it. I think I read somewhere or heard somewhere you talking about the fact that homeschooling wasn't a liability for you finding no. a job. In fact, it was like the secret handshake, like I'm homeschooled, so I'm worth hiring. Yeah. Is that is that true? Yeah. People freak out about homeschooling. It's been really interesting, actually, to start talking more and more about homeschooling as I embarked on my adult life. And I was like, you know, there's a lot here that was interesting that I want to talk about. And I got some a lot of pushback from people who freaked out about the fact that I was advocating for homeschooling. But and, and yes, there are people who come out of homeschool environments who are not like 
ready to enter the real world, but that's not exclusive to homeschooling. There are people coming out does, of public school yeah, too. Does that happen? In, <laughs> does that happen in the public system? <laughs> well, a, a few times, yeah. yeah. Once in a while, it does. It does seem to happen. But um, it was like I for the types of work I wanted to do and the types of places I ended up. I kept getting people responding to my job applications with, oh my gosh, we love homeschoolers. We want to work with you. Um, like there are there are colleges that prioritize homeschool applicants because they know that they're more prepared yeah. for college academics than public school kids are. There are employers who want to work with homeschool kids. It's really not the deficit that people think it is, but there's a lot of stigma against it. It's kind yeah. of crazy. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a caricature that we all know. <laughs> Um, about how you know you're you're unsocialized and and of course you didn't meet the rigorous criteria uh, imposed exactly in, in, in the government system, <laughs> but it, I mean I, my predilection just tells me that that's all BS and, mm -hmm. and I think the data backs that up. One hundred percent. Yeah, I think if anything, like you, I I noticed this. So one of the first things that I did after I graduated from high school and I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I started teaching classes to my old homeschool group because I was a, a writer, so I taught writing classes. Um, and then one of the moms who had her kids in my homeschool writing class had, she worked at an after-school program and she hired me to teach writing classes there too. And that was the first time that I'd really seen homeschoolers and public schoolers side by side and could like measure the differences in them. And it was wild to me to see, like I was walking these two groups of people through the same curriculum that I developed and the results or the, the, the response of these two groups of people was so different. The homeschoolers, like the reason I started teaching this class was because there was a whole cohort of kids in my old homeschool group who didn't want to write. And I was like, well, I'm going to teach your kid. Like my value proposition is I'm going to make your kids like writing. I'm not going to teach them any grammar. I'm not going to teach them how to write a five paragraph essay, but they're going to enjoy the process of writing by the time I'm done with them. And that's what I did. I taught them how to write fiction and I had creative writing prompts. And at the beginning of the course, nobody wanted to write. And by the end, I had kids coming in who were bringing in like stories that they'd written in the week between classes and they wanted me to read them. And it was like, OK, like, see, writing can be fun. <laughs> like, yeah. This is not so yeah. terrible. You've just been doing it wrong. And then I did the same thing with these kids who were in public school. And one, they were they didn't really want to talk to me. They were super awkward. Their social skills were terrible. But they also fought me tooth and nail to do the actual assignments. Like the little kids were okay. Like the first through third graders, they caught on pretty quick and they had fun. But like sixth grade and up, they just sit there with their head in their hands at the desk the whole time. And I'd have to sit there and be like, well, like what's the first thing that comes to mind when you look at this prompt? And they'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and it was so interesting to me to see, like, because you hear people say this when you talk about homeschoolers, they're like, oh, well, yeah, I know a homeschool kid, and they're, like, really bright and really engaging, and they'd have no problem talking to adults. And I think that's, in my experience, has been incredibly true, because these kids, one, they're not learning that learning's terrible, so they're open to learning new things, and it's fun for them, but they're also they're doing things in the real world while all of the other kids are like siloed in these fluorescent lit cinder block boxes all day. And they're actually out talking to adults and they're interacting in the real world. And so they're developing a higher level of social skills than the kids in the classroom. They might not be great at like pop culture references, but that's a terrible metric for socialization anyway. Like that doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure they'll figure <laughs> that out on their own. Yeah. They, I, it took me a while, but I did. <laughs> so I think yes. Um, but they're like they're learning the things that actually translate to the real world. So I think there's a very strong argument to be made that they're actually better socialized than the public school kids. Thank you for joining me today on Kibbe on Liberty and for being part of our fiercely independent audience. Every week, my organization, Free the People, partners with Blaze TV to bring you this show. My guests bring smart perspectives on everything from current events to timeless philosophical debates. If you like what you hear, go to freethepeople.org KOL and support Kibbe on Liberty so we can continue to produce these honest conversations with interesting people. Now, let's get back to it. Okay, I'm going to throw a pop culture reference at you that that you totally won't get because it's too it's too old for you. But mm -hmm. there's a the um, Pink Floyd, The Wall, mm -hmm. um, iconic album. They they made a movie of it, and part of it is you know you know the song We Don't Need No Education. Mm -hmm. It's about um, I th I think it's such an important um, message because it's about the 
the torturous process of just you know marching to class and having the teacher yell at you and, and you just shutting off and and they have all these 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 mindless um, puppets just marching and and not thinking and I I'm a victim of the public school system so I I'm I'm a little bit jealous and envious of you right now. Um, and I, I hated school. Um, and I, I think it affected my, my willingness to, to do formal education my entire life um, because I went from overperforming and I had a, a specific teacher that, that told me I was doing too much. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think about it, but I think it pissed me off. So the next year, <laughs> the next year I started turning in my test blank. And they held me back, and I was too smart to hold back. And then it was like this whole mess. But I, I realize in hindsight that I didn't learn anything in school, but I learned a lot outside of school. So I was I was reading books and all that stuff that that awkward teenage boys do. But I I didn't learn anything in school. Um, so I I'm I'm predisposed to understand what it would be like to actually be free to pursue your passions and. And to not imagine that all children are the same. I mean, that's that's the insanity of the one-size-fits-all system is that each child is beautiful and different and has different abilities and different passions. And if you don't know, if you don't let them pursue that, how, how, how would you ever find out what that is? Exactly. It has the audacity to assume that every child is the same. And that there is one path and one set of goals that is correct and that some bureaucrat in an office somewhere knows the answer to that question for every kid in the country. Like when you actually stop and think about it, it's it's so arrogant, but it's also ridiculous. Like yeah. you talk to people, adults out functioning in the world, and they're they're living such dynamically varied lives and doing all different types of work and following all different types of paths and they have different skill sets and areas of knowledge that make them uniquely capable to do very specialized types of work and and the idea that we can engineer your way to get there somehow is really quite ridiculous like there are things that everybody needs to know and there are like processes for learning that are they've been studied and they are effective and it makes sense for a lot of kids to go through them but the level of standardization that we have in this state the average classroom especially over the past couple of decades as testing has become more and more important in the classroom and you spend months preparing for tests and you're not even learning anything else except what's going to be on the test like you're not really learning anything useful at that point because if you take the test and you forget once you've taken the test because you don't care so you're not going to use brain space on it but it's the the systematized idea of education was a really big misstep like there's political and cultural reasons why it happened you can go back and look at the history and it makes a lot of sense how we ended up here but in terms of preparing individuals to thrive in the real world it's a terrible move and there's no one answer to the education problem that is like this is the thing that everybody should do because everybody's different you need a marketplace of education options to serve a very broad array of types of people yeah, you had um, structural failure that was then federalized so that they could say we're going to focus on this one thing, which was was testing, and it actually just made things worse. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the 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 experience that that a lot of parents had starting in with with schools being shut down in early um, twenty twenty, and 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 it, and they learned a couple things. I mean, I, one one obvious thing I think they learned was that. Um, the teachers unions and the sort of administrators that that controlled the education system were always all about them as opposed to children. And I think that was one, um, surely some parents knew that, but I think, um, you know, you're just assuming that the people in charge of education are the best at educating children and you can trust them to do that. You would think. You would, you would think. But so we, we sort of learned that it is, it's, it's politics yeah. and power um, that has nothing to do with um, customers, parents, and children. And that's, that's perhaps a harsh wake-up call for a lot of parents. Um, but the... Other th- and, and obviously the second thing they learned was that the curriculums were really weird and there was a lot of weird stuff in there and stuff that, that was really upsetting to a lot of people and that, that, that also was politicized, that 
um, you know, people's political agendas um, corrupted the curriculum and, and kids were learning things that didn't make sense to a lot of parents. Um, but the thing that we're talking about, I think, is the most fundamental. Like, um, and this this is featured in in a documentary we did on on moms who who left the government system during the pandemic. It's called Sickier, and and the I'm thinking of this one mom in particular who has a son that reminds me of myself when I was that age, just stubborn <laughs> and uncooperative and and hopefully creative and. And, and with some potential, and he's sitting in front of these Zoom calls every day, and it's this completely regimented, torturous thing, and he eventually told his mom, I'm not gonna do this anymore. And so she had to think outside the box. I think, I think that regimentation um, and is the, the most persuasive reason for, for parents to, to take that leap and say we we got to do something else what do you think yeah i think well to go to the the covid question i think education is going to turn out to be one of the big silver linings of what happened in 2020 and beyond because it accelerated what was already happening in education by probably a decade yeah um like we were already headed where we're going now but at a much slower rate like when you think about it all of the infrastructure for education to change was in place like the minute we all had internet access. Like once the internet came online, the whole premise of school, with the exception of the childcare component, mm -hmm. which there are people working on building different types of startups that are attempting to solve that. And I think there's gonna be a lot of different options for that over the next few years starting to emerge. But like with the exception of that, everything else was the ability to do it better came online. Like you don't need the teacher in front of the classroom in a centralized physical location anymore because you can access the information arguably far, far better because you can find the things that are actually like specialized to where you're at and what you need, not just like the average of whatever classroom you happen to be assigned to. Mm -hmm. So all of this was going to happen anyway, but people, everybody saw it. Like the classroom came home and everybody said, wait, what is going on? Yeah. Because the curriculum was terrible. And the the pace at which kids were moving through things was really slow. And people had a lot of questions about the actual content their kids were being taught. And the, the regimentation just like felt even more ridiculous and characterized when it was on Zoom. But it was a representation of what's happening in the classroom anyway. And parents looked at that and they saw it and they're like, wait a second. Like there's this sort of ignorance is bliss kind of effect when you just send your kids to school like you said where the experts are and they know what to do so you're like well my kids are getting a's so they must be fine yeah but then you actually see it and you're like whoa hold up a second um but it also shifted the overton window of what is acceptable because pre-covid people would respond to me talking about homeschooling and they'd be like i can never have my kids home all day i can't imagine having my kids home all day only weird people do that and then everybody started working remotely mm-hmm when a lot of people are still working remotely, so their capacity logistically to have kids at home shifted. But everybody had to do it for a year or more too. So now it's not weird anymore to imagine your kids at home. Like everybody knows what it's like. And so that's shifted the precedent, I think, for a lot of the online schools that are emerging that are vastly superior to the public school, but like you have to be at, have your kids at home to do it. I think people just, like it, it, it forced everyone into the conversation. So I think it changed a lot. But I think like you see there's a lot of investors who are backing education startups now. And there's a lot of like elections are swinging based on people's education stances. And there's like a lot of movement that's signaling that people really care about this. So even though it's not necessarily like as part of the mainstream conversation as it needs to be for real change to happen, like it's the momentum is building. It's very different than it's been any time in the past when people have been building alternatives and trying to get people out of school. Like people are really hungry for this now. The 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 like um, intransience of the teachers unions um, refusing to open even when everyone else had. Uh, even I, I was baffled. I realized that they have all the power and that they control cities like like Chicago and pretty much every city, certainly New York City. Uh, Washington DC where we are right now but they just didn't care what what people thought they had they thought they had such a stranglehold 
And I, th- I think what's happening, and I want to get into sort of practical steps that, that parents can take, but I think what's happening is that enough parents have taken a leap now, and somebody knows somebody that's doing it, so it doesn't seem quite as intimidating. And at some point, that just that just turns into a tidal wave of, yeah. of people. And and I, I don't. I, I had Corey DeAngelis on, and he was talking all the data, and like it's it, it's very much a, a fundamental shift, and not just opinion, but actual behavior. But you know what? Um, what would you say to a mom who's agreed with everything you said so far, but she's she's a really busy person. <laughs> well, and I think she's she's not an educator. <laughs> what is she supposed to do? Well, I think first, really quickly to the point that you just made um, with the teachers unions and the the shift that's starting to happen, I think part of the fundamental problem is that the parents are not customers right now and the te- the kids are not customers. It's like right. what the, the teachers unions know what's best is very much the the feeling that everyone is getting. They've, they've kind of like, I forget, I, I, I won't quote it off the top of my head, but it goes to the point where like, they they sort of imply that they own your kids oh, they, and you don't. They don't imply it. They outright say it. Uh, it's pretty it's pretty horrifying actually. But um, like they're not the the kids are not. The, nobody cares about the kids and nobody mm. really cares what the parents think either. And which you know if you look at the the school board election results from this past election cycle, like there's you you can tell that parents are catching on which is very are you talking good, about but, those domestic terrorists well i mean i was homeschooled so i'm that's that's those you, are my people you must be I'm, on a, you must I'm, be on a list somewhere I'm yeah i'm sure i'm on a list yes <laughs> um, for having for daring to to read books at home instead of go to public school crazy it's, crazy it's terrifying um <laughs> but anyway like the the public school teachers are like i think there's going to be a shift as people move away from public schools where like right now the public school is a, is a monopoly so it doesn't matter the the level of customer experience that they are delivering because everyone has to go there mm-hmm. but we're going to see this very quickly especially in places like Arizona where the ESA stuff passes through and we start and, and people actually have a free market for options finally um and people start leaving the public schools like the public schools are going to have to improve in order to keep kids at all or all the teachers are going to have to be out looking for jobs so i think this is going to shift quickly and it's going to come back into balance because it's very out of balance yeah. right now you could and also the incentives see are terrible yeah you could also see like um megapod schools where um the best teachers can um, actually be allowed to teach mm-hmm. and make more money doing <laughs> something out of the system so there's yeah. going to be a drain of talent too there already is there the t- there's some serious teacher shortages because people are leaving i talked to so many people on twitter which is where i spent a lot of my time um who are ex-teachers who are out starting a micro school or a self-directed learning center or something like that because they just can't stand the system anymore but they really want to work with kids there's a lot of really great teachers in that in that position building things that i'm i'm very excited to see expand because i think they're some of the the primary experts on what we need so next. rebel educators <laughs> exactly yeah yeah my my kind of people but to your question about the mom who's really busy and what what she should do um there's a lot of there are a lot of options out there to cater to a lot of different people's needs and circumstances so it kind of depends on their sort of like a a set of questions that a parent needs to ask to narrow down the options which is like how much money am i willing to spend am i willing to spend money on my kids education um based on that question like what are the resources actually available to me in my state because arizona gets all depressed but there are a lot of other states that have grant programs and stuff too that you can also look into um am i do i want to be the primary educator of my kid or do i need to send them to another school like am i working full-time and do i need someone who can be in charge of educating my kid and also can be responsible like do i need them like am i working from home can i have my kid in an online school at home or do they have to be in person somewhere um and i think there's a lot of fundamental questions that people need to ask too about like well we're a two-income home and we don't really want to give that up but like we could for a few years and like maybe our kids education is more important than getting a new volvo like there's 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 really hard questions that people need to ask themselves too when they look at what the school system is doing and whether or not that is acceptable to them um but from a practical standpoint like once you kind of have a sense of what those 
specifications are that a school or an education option needs to meet, then you can start doing research and see what's available to you in your location. Are there in-person schools if you need your kid to go somewhere? Are there online schools that you can sign your kid up for if you're home all day and having them online is an option? There are some really, really cool schools that are that people are building that and I'm really excited for like in five years when we have a whole a whole like binder full of case studies that we can throw at people where it's like, look at all of these kids who are going through these programs, they're super successful. Like this, because I think that's a huge part of what's going to change the tide too, is like there's a set of early adopters who are just, they know this is going to work for their kids. They're hungry for it. They're not afraid to be the rebels. Yeah. But then there's a much larger cohort of people who want a safe option for their kids too, because this stuff is really scary. So once those case studies start to emerge, I think there's going to be a much bigger second wave of people that exit the system. And that's like really when the big shifts are going to happen. Um, but there's tons of options like that for parents who are really busy. And there's also tons of options online for like, if you don't have the monetary resources to put your kid in a school and you don't feel qualified to teach your kid at home, you really like, if you know what a kid is like technically like needs to know in order to be meeting the standards of your state to be successfully completing an education, like they're not breaking the law because they're like learning the things they're supposed to. Like as long as you know that, you don't have to be a subject matter, matter expert in anything because the internet has the best teachers in every subject your kid could possibly be curious about for free at your fingertips, a search away. And your kid can go learn from all of those people. And all you have to be is the facilitator who's helping them figure out how to find resources and then making sure they're constructively using them and then asking follow-up questions and figuring out what they need to learn. Next, like not knowing everything is not it's a feature it's not a bug for parents like you your kids are watching you figure it out and they're learning just by nature of watching you figure it out way more than they ever would have learned in school because they're learning how to learn which school doesn't really teach you but you have to know how to do to be successful in the adult world ever at all so like it's really it's very intimidating for parents i think because like what's more important than your kid's education but at the same time like what's more important than your kid's education you need to make sure that you're asking the right questions to make sure that they're getting a really solid foundation for the rest of their lives so it's it's tough for parents i think to figure out what's out there and where to start but i also think like once you dig in there's way more accessible especially in the past couple of years than there's ever been and it's really easy to find stuff if you've made it this far into the show it means i must be doing something right Kibbe on Liberty is just one of the amazing products we created for the people. We tell emotionally compelling stories and produce educational videos for the Liberty Curious. Our award-winning documentaries personalize all things Liberty, independence, creativity, hard work, integrity, and perseverance. After the show, check out our work at freethepeople.org. And if you like what you see, donate to support what we do. That's freethepeople.org. Now back to the show. You know, I think one of the mythologies, and, and maybe you agree with this or not, I don't know, but um, the idea that, that the parent has to become the teacher. <laughs> and I feel like there's a different word for it. Um, you, you have to be the encourager. You have to be the mentor. My mom always called herself my facilitator. I'd tell yeah. my friends, my mom's my teacher, and she'd go, no, 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 I'm your facilitator. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that one. Because you, you, you really want to teach young people how, or, or to let people figure out how to think yeah and how to figure stuff out and how to problem solve and 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 how to figure out what what you want to do and and as you were saying earlier like this this regimented system doesn't do that it it tells you you have to you have to do this this and this and maybe you don't care about that that and that yeah, I think at, there's a level at which you're actually doing kids a disservice by being their teacher. Because when you think about it, like, yes, when kids are six years old, they need they, they don't know a lot about how the world works. And there's a lot of information that you need to be narrating to them and conveying to them to help them navigate this big adult world that they're just starting to step out into. But when you have kids who are 16, 17, 18, like they're about to graduate from high school and go out and be full-fledged adults. And if you're telling them what to do all the time, and then there's like some magic date on the calendar where it's like, okay, congratulations, we've reached the date. Now you can go out into the real world and do all of this on your own. Like you're not, you haven't prepared them at all for navigating adult reality. And so 
I think as kids get older, especially in middle school and high school, you really shouldn't be a teacher, um, which is a very radical stance to take. But I right. think it's really it's really true. Like you can't you can't just tell them all the things that they need to know. You can't answer all their questions for you. You can't spoon feed them all the information. They have to know how to go find it themselves in order to be able to find information and synthesize it and use it, which is what they're going to be doing in the adult world. Now, the the moms we covered in our documentary um, were able to make the financial decision, um, some with some sacrifice, mm -hmm. to have one parent. And in this case, it was the moms, but there's no particular reason why I should keep referring to moms. It's, it's however um, families want to figure that stuff out. Um, but obviously the biggest barrier to this um, hits the community of people who are getting um, the most screwed by the government system. And that's, that's moms that have to work, parents that have to work, maybe single family homes. Um, I have a friend who's a pastor in Harrisburg mm -hmm. who is doing this, this facilitating mentoring role at his church in, in a very poor community. And, and um, for, for legal and philosophical reasons, he's like, this is not a school, because he doesn't, he doesn't want the state government to define him as a school because that creates all sorts of regulatory barriers to actually succeeding. Um, but he's just, um, you know, he is providing daycare, which, which is an essential fundamental barrier um, for um, working parents to, to do this stuff. Um, can you talk more about these these alternative solutions that are emerging, if if you know of any, um, that that might help solve this, because I, I, Pastor Josh is doing that, um, but we need many many more of him to solve this problem. Most most parents don't have a guy that's that insightful and that innovative um, to create that opportunity. Yeah, I think there there are a lot of different things. I think what he is doing is is one of the paths and one of the models that are going to emerge that's going to solve this problem. Um, like there there are lots of of similar ways that the free market can solve this issue for parents. Um, but there's a lot of there are some interesting startups that are being built that are they're setting up. Um, some of them call them like self-directed learning centers or some some version of that where they're not really providing a curriculum. Kids are coming in. It's a place for kids to go. It's kind of like a we work for kids. Yeah. So kids can go during the workday. Their parents can like drop them off and pick them up at whatever times the parents are coming in and out of their workday. And the kids can go to this space and it's full of supplies and equipment and toys and like things to like educational materials for the kids to use, but they're kind of each doing their own thing. So some of them might be an online school, some of them might be unschooled, and it's like, hey, go, like we're gonna just go craft today or whatever. They don't need a lot of direction. Um, and there's a lot of different models of, of these self-directed learning centers too. Like some of them are more, um, a little more anarchistic and some of them are a little more structured. Um, Logan's excited, think... you, you dropped the A word. <laughs> It's a spectrum, um, yeah. but I think I think there's a lot of of that Beautiful starting anarchy. to emerge. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, as, as kids, like yeah. child anarchy is usually quite lovely. They're like coloring and building cool Lego castles, and it's it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, but those types of things, I think, are going to build traction. I think the micro school model is really interesting too because it's kind of it's bringing back the which is the you know, there's a great historical precedent for this the neighborhood school yeah and um there's a really interesting company based out of arizona called prenda that works with states that have either an esa program or some type of grant money to use state funding to pay for a micro school so they use i, I think there's four states besides arizona that they're in where they're using like the charter laws to fund this um, and they're they're working to expand how many states they're they're working with, but basically, the state funding that would be following the student to a public school goes to a micro school that's set up by Prenda, and usually it's a parent who signs on with Prenda to start it, and that parent, that mom or dad, becomes the teacher of the school, mm. and they'll have this, they'll host a school like in their living room or in their you know whatever their barn or whatever, and they'll have like I don't know ten neighborhood kids come in. And in a state like Arizona, where every kid gets about seven thousand dollars 
in with the ESA program to use on an education program, that's if you have 10 kids, that's $70,000 to fund the school. You spend 50 or 60 to, of that to pay the teacher. So the mom isn't really giving up her ability to work. She's just like working, running the school. And then the rest of the money goes to um, back to Prenda HQ to keep the whole operation running. But I think things like that are going to start to emerge too, where there's like creative ways to provide these types of resources on a community level for cheap or for free and there's a lot of i think people underestimate too how much power they have in a community if you can find other people who want the same things that you do like when i was growing up homeschooled i knew families who like there were a couple moms who would tag team like they were both working part-time because neither of them could support like they could they couldn't just subsist off of a one-income household so both moms were working part-time and they were able to like structure their schedule so one or the other of them was working and the other one had both sets of kids Um, There are people who get like grandparents involved. There's all different types of ways that people solve this problem. And I think I honestly think the way that they're doing it is kind of modeling the most natural way of doing it, which is like if a whole community of people want something better, they can. And I think those those communities of people are starting to emerge at a level that they didn't exist before. Like 10 years ago, you wanted to homeschool in your community. Everybody thought you were a whack job. (laughs) But Um, now um, imagine the idea (laughs) This, you're, you're so radical. The idea that that communities could be support structures for families and neighborhoods. I, I don't know. Like I could go down the whole rabbit hole of how how government policies have destroyed that that support system and that network that that helps people or allows people to help each other. Um, and and what you're describing is basically a, a more formalized, sustainable version of a, of a learning pod. Yeah, there's a, there are yeah. a lot of those that people are trying to build to make it as yeah. easy as possible for parents to find this and tap into it. Yeah. Um, you said earlier that you decided not to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm, it, it remi- I'm, I'm reminded of a conversation I had with Brian Kaplan, who has um, written a critique of, of, of which kind of a audacious for him since he is a college professor <laughs> but he, he basically argues that it's not worth going to college unless you desperately need the credential that a four-year degree will give you in certain professions but but you decided not to um, a lot of parents right now are trying to figure out if they want to go 100k in debt for a college degree that's just going to screw up their kids and not be worth the paper it's written on <laughs> well, do you, do you do this stuff too? Like, do you have, I assume you have thoughts on this. I do. Yeah. Well, I think, I think this is actually a really important question to ask pretty early on as you're thinking about your kid's education, because so much of K through 12 is built around the assumption that kids need to go to college. Therefore, K through 12 is really about college preparation. Like so much of it Gotta is. Gotta pass the test. Exactly. And when you take away that assumption the whole world opens up in terms of what K through 12 could look like. It's like, well, what if my kid learned like reading math, you know, like the basics, they learn how to read, they learn how to write, they learn basic arithmetic. And then we send them to like, they go do an apprenticeship or something in middle school and high school, or they start a business or they do something else. that's not giving you the paper trail that would lead to a college acceptance, but it's actually really setting them way far ahead of everybody else in terms of like, career readiness and life readiness so i think it's it's a really important question i i'm very much in the camp of if you don't need it for something like you don't want to be a doctor you don't want to be a lawyer you don't want to be a public school teacher which i think is kind of obvious how i feel about about that path Um, like if you don't want to do these things that require a the piece of paper then why would you go again everything's available online like mit has all of their courses for free online you can go get an mit education harvard has a bunch of open classes yale does like you can go get an ivy league education on your own time from your laptop while you're working and come out just as far ahead as everybody else like the only things that you're missing are the networking component which you can 100 percent replace through the internet and the piece of paper but the piece of paper also becomes irrelevant really quickly once you start building a portfolio of things you've actually done in the real world like i talk about not having a college education all of the time because it's a part of the story of like how i ended up where i did and i think it's important but nobody's ever asked me if i have a degree or if i like it's never been an impediment if i had said that um (laughs) the reaction would have been different i suspect because at this point it's it's probably more obvious that a college degree quite often um, 
might have just messed up your brain <laughs> or or just not worth anything you know like you yeah. you learned you learned how to drink beer and and um, got really good at beer pong <laughs> check the right boxes when you when you got those tests yeah um, but today like I, I think um, you know I'm thinking of, of Peter Thiel um, is is creating billionaires by encouraging them to leave college and just yeah. do pursue the the idea that they have um, and that's kind of what praxis is as well you and so you went from from high school or homeschooling do you call homeschooling high school yeah you, i was uh, yeah homeschooled through high school okay. yeah yeah homeschool um, high school whatever just because <laughs> yes. it, it would be too confusing not to say that <laughs> yeah otherwise it sounds like i went to public school yeah. which i did actually dually enroll for a semester i took one class at my high school because i wanted to know what it was like i wanted to test my assumptions it was terrible yeah i was not a fan i did not go back yeah <laughs> Um, did you go to Praxis right out of school? Uh, so I I hacked Praxis. So I didn't actually do the program. I interned for them mm -hmm. for a very long time. I was an incredibly stubborn intern. I just wouldn't leave until they gave me a job eventually. Um, but I went through. So I, I basically got it's a, Praxis. It's a great strategy. Just, She's so annoying. She's not going to leave until we give her a job. So she keeps doing stuff. So yeah. we don't really want to let her go. Um at least I, I that was my the, the assumption I was banking that on. That was a strategy. <laughs> I won eventually. Um but yeah, there was a like a year long stint where I or was it a year? Yeah, I think it was about a year where I was teaching writing classes. I was working on a farm. I was like kind of trying I was writing a bunch. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I didn't know. Um but yeah, it was effectively straight from high school to Praxis. And you were there how long? Uh, I worked there full time for three years. I was there total for six because of my intern time before they hired me full time. And then I stayed on working as a coach for like a year and a half after I left full time because I just really loved it. Yeah. Um, so six years. So and and from there you started Rebel Educator. Yeah, I went I went and worked as a free uh, like a freelancer for a while, working on a bunch of different education, like with some different education startups. I did a little bit of work with Foundation for Economic Education. I did a fellowship with them. Um, and then started Rebel Educator this past spring. And how's it going? It's, I mean, I'm having a great time because I get to talk about education all day. Um, it's actually, it's been amazing. So we're building, I have a, a really amazing team of people working with me to build this. I have some incredibly talented writers that I feel very lucky to get to work with. Um, and we're, we're trying to build, again, like a content library, a, a, a starting point, a launch pad for parents who like we want to be the thing that comes up when people google my kid's not happy in school we want to have answers for them because right now there aren't any so it's been really amazing to like i spend a lot of time on twitter every day talking to people and i've met some incredibly interesting people everything from parents to educators to people who are leaving the education system people who are building startups that are trying to tackle this problem with like providing either like one-off resources or, or full-on schools to people. Um, it's been really interesting, actually. Like, I've always been in this world, but being so deep, like, every day I wake up and all I think about is talking to people in education, and I've learned a lot about how much is happening. Like, I knew about a lot of these things already, but talking to people who are deeply in it, I actually think there's more momentum here than I realized when I started, which makes me very excited. Like, I think so many people are ready for this and I think it's going to become like it's sort of I think education is a very underrepresented issue for a couple reasons like one is just not as sexy as politics are like it just doesn't have quite the allure to it um just kind of like on a cultural assumptions level but also a lot of intellectuals don't have kids so they don't care about it as much like people are kind of like yeah someday when I have kids then then I'll think about education but if you're like 22 years old and you're like yeah maybe in a decade when I'm like 32 35 I'll think about having a kid um and then like when they're you know like 10 years from then they'll be in the throes of elementary school and maybe then I'll start to care it's like the people who are in education right now are the ones who are going to be setting up the world that your kids are in like they're they're the ones who will be graduated and running the schools that your kids are going to like it matters now yeah. there will be no good schools for your kids to go to if you don't care about it um but I think people are starting to wake up. I think people are starting to realize that this is important and that this is that this is something that I think it matters to more people than it did before. And I think, again, like there's so much momentum post COVID and it's really a question now of like how much can the momentum get harnessed 
and what what case studies are going to emerge out of this what um like what success stories what what programs are going to emerge that people are talking about that's going to carry the momentum and excitement before it fades but i also don't think it's going to i think i think people are really i think parents are really fed up with the status quo system now that they realize what's going on and i i think it's going to be very hard to close the floodgates again i'm also a chronic optimist which for for better or yeah. worse but i do think that there's there's something different here. The energy is different than there was three years ago, and it's significant. At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle 24-7, something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you, you need the very best Liberty swag in the market today, just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love Liberty and look cool. I mean, I, t- I, I tend to be very optimistic about the ability of free people to solve problems mm-hmm. without anyone uh, dictating what the rules are. But I also think that, you know, as shocked as I was that the teachers' union so overstepped their um, uh, credibility, I think that they're now going to rush back to fix the problem. And I think, you know, like they're already talking, like they're acknowledging that the pandemic, not the lockdowns, but the pandemic did horrible damage to um, uh, children's educations and their their mental health and, and all the things that, that many of us were predicting from the day that they started it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think the empire is going to strike back. And I think that the education industrial complex is going to try to stop you and all of the parents you're talking about from doing what, what is natural, which is to innovate and solve the problem and think of better ways to, to, to create better lives for their children. What are those things that they could do to stop you? I mean, there's there's a lot. There's and, and, and we saw hints of this in this most recent election where people changed their stance on education leading up to the election because they knew that it was a, such a hot button issue. And, and people who, like candidates who didn't, care as much about education as their opponents but who said just enough to not offend anybody yeah, were Cor- able to get Corey, t- Corey talked about this I, yeah, I forget I'm, the names I'm but, sure he did yeah. well it happened in Pennsylvania yeah. with, with Shapiro that's right um, and there, there are some other examples of this too but so I think I think that is in the short term like one of the dangers is like well, it's the, almost the, a, it's almost a baby step in the right direction. Like I don't I don't expect politicians to do the right thing for children. <laughs> no. But I do expect politicians to respond to incentives and if if parents are willing to stay committed to that process that they ignited at school board meetings, um, politics will follow. Even even though um, you know the incentive structure is you know teachers unions spend a lot of money yeah. buying the political process, but but there's a lot more parents than there are members of the teachers union. There are. There are a lot more parents. I think, like, the the ESA movement is going to be a mixed bag. Um, it's going to be really good in the short term. In the long term, it has a lot of potential for legislators to step in and, and really heavily regulate the yeah. the schools that are emerging. Dictate um, how, you, how you spend and where yeah, you spend. Yeah, there's going to be – it's not a – it's – it's an important first battle, but it is not the only battle. We're not going to have went, won the war after this battle is over because there there are going to be more fights that have to be tackled with, like making sure that the integrity of these alternative schools stay true to what they were intended to be. Um, I think you know down the road we're going to see we're going to be having conversations about like well how do schools like what schools aren't accepting this funding because they want to not be regulated in the same way that your friend in Harrisburg is not calling what he's doing a school yeah. because he wants to bypass the regulation i think you know there's there's always going to be some of that i think i think that will start to emerge i think there's a lot of the momentum is very on our side but there's a lot of it's hard to break the status quo and to do something different. Inertia is a very powerful force. And so if if the teachers and the teachers unions can do just enough to pacify the parents to make it not really worth the effort of leaving, that will kill the momentum very quickly. And I think we're going to see attempts at that too. I don't know how far the pendulums swung. Like I talk to a lot of people who are very fed up and they just want out. But there are also a lot of parents who 
are like for whatever reason they like were really fed up but their kids are still in public school and they're not really thinking about pulling them out and i think like i don't think there's like i think there's a spectrum of of approaches that parents can take like there's a lot you if your kids are in public school there's still a lot you can do mm-hmm. to supplement their education like most parents aren't so if you're even doing little things like you're reading aloud as a family you're going to museums you're doing hands-on projects you're encouraging your kids to like start some entrepreneurial venture like anything like that is already setting your kid ahead and undoing some of the damage that public school is doing so it's not like this one size fits all like we either have to leave entirely or we've lost like there's there are a lot of there's a lot of middle ground that is also good but i do think that we're gonna see a lot of pushback from or, or correction course correction from the teachers unions and from politicians and well, I, think- I assume they'll they'll demonize um like so I, there is like there's there's a point where not using the public schools is normal or more normal where more enough parents are doing it that you you as a parent won't feel guilty for experimenting like your parents <laughs> had no qualms experimenting with you no but my parents also are very um they're very unafraid of being the odd ones out i got very lucky yeah. with with my parents um they just like weren't afraid to go do this thing in a time when it was like 20 years ago there weren't nearly as many people homeschooling as there are now it was a it was a much weirder thing to do but i can imagine the peer pressure um when when families are getting together and they're like, you're doing what with it's, your children? Yes. And like that, that's intimate. I, I keep using that word, but it's, it's um, you know, there's there's barriers to that. Um, but I, it's this is like any market product, right? Like um, there are first movers mm-hmm. and there's there's people that, that buy the first um, iPhone and then eventually everyone has to have one. Um, and so we're, we're there but I suspect that the next step, I don't, I don't know what they'll, they'll do, but they'll probably do what they always do, what they did to homeschoolers and what they do to any sort of innovation outside of the public school system is they'll demonize it yeah. as as bad for kids and not that's not education and, and you're destroying these children, children's well, futures. They already do. I mean, the whole domestic terrorism thing for homeschooling, like they, they've already they've already gone down I feel down like they road. jumped the shark on that one. They did a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was it was a very memeable thing to say fo- and those it was, folks were not that scary <laughs> yeah it was uh it was a little too fast um but don't but don't go that far is, they, is your point yeah they well they they already have they'll they'll do it again yeah um and i think yeah they're gonna there's gonna be a lot of i mean i i get this all the time on on twitter and in the on in response to the articles that i write people like there are people I've gotten hate DMs for writing articles promoting homeschooling and I'm 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 confused by it but I'm also amazed I'm like wow I didn't know it was quite quite this vicious the the hatred of this of this movement but I think you know the, the teachers unions 100% are going to come out yeah guns blazing it's a question of like how much do people care about the, op- the opinions of the, the teachers unions anymore and I think that's a very fair question after everything that's happened over the past 3 years I think they don't have the same level of respect that they did anymore. So I'm not sure people are quite as scared of them as they used to be. Maybe maybe Elon Musk will sort out the um, education industrial bots after <laughs> he gets the media bots out of there. It's, it's that a would process. be okay. It's a process. <laughs> yes. So um, where do people find um, your, your company and your products, and where do we find you on Twitter? Yeah, so everything is just under Rebel Educator. On Twitter, we're at Rebel Educator. You can find me personally, too, at Hannah Frankman. I manage both accounts, so you can DM me on either one. Um, Our website is rebeleducator.co, and that's a good jumping-off point for everything else. We have a Substack newsletter that goes out every week if you're into that sort of thing. Um, We have a podcast that's about to launch that you can check out. Um, Those are the best places to start. And then again, like on the website, we have everything curated. So from there, you can find everything else that we do and everything else that we promote. So if you're looking for like specific schools and stuff, we've got lists of those there, too. Oh, that's very cool. Okay, thanks for doing this. Let's let's get together in a year or so and do this again and and be even more optimistic about the future of 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 education and and the. untimely death of the education industrial complex. The very timely death. Timely but death. <laughs> untimely in the other direction. It's yes. overdue, but yeah. yes, let's let's definitely. Cool, thanks. Thank you.
Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.